Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Designed by, I love, I love that title because it's something that every one of us in this room understands because we wear shoes, we wear clothes, we drive, we have hobbies that uh, you know, have require us to have things that were designed by somebody. But sometimes we fail to remember that we were also designed by somebody. We're designed with a purpose, with a plan. And it's interesting to me because the, the kind of the baseline passage of this whole series has been Ephesians chapter two. And today I wanna pick out one word of that passage. You heard Lindsay talk about it and we're really gonna kind of dissect it today. And it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus So we can, and the next word is the word I want to look at. It's the word do. That we can do the good things that God has planned for us long ago to do. And in our lives, so many times, and I've heard this, I had a pastor tell me this 20 years ago. He said, potential is just a word unless you act out in your potential. You can have the greatest gifts and the greatest talents and the greatest abilities, and you can know all those things. But if you don't do anything with them, they're just sitting on the shelf and they're wasted. It's not until the moment we pick those gifts up and we do something with them. Today, we're gonna look at a passive scripture and I'm gonna ask you to turn to James chapter two and we wanna put our finger there because we're gonna spend some time flipping back and forth in that passage. And that passage is an action passage. Uh, The word do is an action word. It's something that requires us to do something with it. And I'm gonna talk about a couple types, types of faith today that maybe you've never even heard that there's multiple types of faith in this thing called faith. James chapter two, verse 14 says, what, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the needs needed for their body or the things needed for their body, what good is that? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I say, I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you you want to be shown, uh, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith from works is also dead. Now it's interesting because some of us grew up in maybe a, a denomination affiliation that, that it was all about nothing but works. And, and, and literally we were kind of trying to figure out our faith and we felt the more things we did, the more, you know, the, the more certain prayers we prayed or the, the certain activities we went to that we were somehow or another close to God. And the church has been, and it almost seems a little bit contradictory here right here, doesn't it? Because you read scriptures that Paul writes about and he talks literally about without, you know, we're, we're saved by grace. Like um, it's, it's Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter uh, two, verse eight says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and not 
of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. And you go, oh, wait a second. James just talked about all these things that justify us being works. How can there be both? And what I'm learning and what I'm kind of understanding is they both have it right. And there's something that happens after we receive the faith in Jesus Christ. There's a corresponding action that requires us to do certain things with our faith. I love the way it says it in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And it says, for it is in righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall, what's the next word right there? Live. That's an action word, just like do. We should live by faith. So here's the deal. Paul realized that you don't work for your salvation, you receive it from God. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me because if you know anything about church history, Martin Luther was the, the, the great reformist and th- uh, hundreds of years ago, he came to the realization through these passages that we were saved by faith and faith alone. It was in the midst of his trying to please God moment. And so he was reading the words of Paul and he literally called the, 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 uh, the, uh, the book of James, the epistle of straw, meaning it didn't have much validity, it didn't have much substance. But what James understood is once we have the faith, we've got to do something with our faith. He took it a step further that we're all called and compelled. And that's a key word today, that we are compelled to do something with our faith because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Somebody should say amen right there. That's a moment where you should go, yep, that's exactly right. I feel compelled to do something because what Jesus did for me. You're not saved by it but you're working your life out. It's, you're doing it because you, you have this, this, this compulsion to be more like him. So today we're gonna kind of peel it back a little bit and we're gonna look at a couple things today that are compelling us to do. And when we understand who God is and how God responds, the first thing is the right kind of faith compels us to do something. Uh, there's two types of faith. And the way I read through scripture, there's faith that does something. There's faith that does, does nothing. There's do-nothing faith and there's do-something faith. Do-something faith is disconnected from any type of behavior corresponding. It's actually a faith that has a sense of intellectual being. It has a sense of emotion. So it understands and there's emotion, but there's no action that requires either one of those things. I don't know if y'all caught it. In James chapter two, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe. Even the demons have an intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. Even the demons have an emotional knowledge of who Jesus is, but they never acted in the right way. And, and, and he's saying, listen, comparing, like comparing them with, like not that he's comparing you with a demon. Some of us are, but not, like, not that he's comparing you with demons or anything, but he's saying, listen, even they have that belief, but they didn't do anything with it. Do something though, faith. It's a faith that's strong and inevitably leads to a corresponding action. Let me, let me share it this way. How many people own a car? Raise your hand if you own a car. Raise your hand. Like, raise your hand if, let me try something else. Raise your hand if you don't own a car. Okay. So raise your hand if you don't own a car again. So I just want, I just want to see if there was anybody <laughs> in the world we live in. How, how many people get their oil changed every, let's say, 3,000 miles or so? Raise your hand real high. So that means the rest of you don't. Okay, okay, no, 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 I'm gonna take this a step further. How many people in the room have their check engine light on right now? Oh my gosh! What are you doing? Have you lost your minds? How many people right now are sitting on E? And that doesn't stand for extra. It stands for empty. How many people are sitting on E? Right, Raise your hand real high. Oh my goodness, this church, we're dying and going to hell. Well, we're dying and going to heaven if we know Jesus, right? That's a better way to say it. 
So I used to think, if I could be honest with you, I used to think the people that didn't change their oil every 3,000 miles were lazy. And everything they do in their life is lazy. But you know what I found out? There's some people that, that are the most, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the most like, like administrative people I know, Jen Harrison, that will have every I dotted and T crossed of everything else, but won't change your oil. And I used to ask my question, why? You know, and, and here's, here's what I've learned. We all understand how the combustion engine works, right? The engine works. Gas, oil, but we don't have a deep-seated faith of us taking care of it. So we don't do anything with it. Some people like Jen have this deep-seated conviction about how things should be organized, but she doesn't want to change the oil in her car, right? And that's what I'm realizing, that faith, do something faith, do something for Jesus Christ faith, the people that have that kind of faith, it's because they have the deep conviction of what God, they're compelled, they can't do anything else. Somebody asked me the other day, it was actually my, one of my daughters. She said, she said, Dad, why have you been in ministry 30 something years now? I said, I can't do any, I, I, I literally can, but I can't do anything else. I can go work for a business. I could go sell a product. I could do whatever, but I can't. I would be absolutely miserable if I did anything. I am compelled. Paul says it like this, I am compelled to preach the gospel. See, that's what happens when we're compelled by something. We have to do it. Some people have a belief about something. And you know what? I'm learning. This goes for every area of our lives, not just a car. If you have a deep-seated conviction about your marriage, you know what you're doing? You're growing your marriage somehow. You're doing something for your marriage. You're, you're going to you know, conferences. You're reading books. You're doing a devotion together. If you have a deep-seated just a conviction about how God wants us to spend our money, you know what you do? You spend your money. You have a deep-seated, get, let's get out of debt. Let, let, let's do this. Let's give. Let's serve. It's because you have a deep conviction of that, and it leads to some type of action in our lives. Whatever we have a deep conviction of, it will play out in what we do in our lives, anything. Here's the second thing. I want us to get this. This is really important. The right kind of faith compels us not just to have, you know, some, do something in faith, but it, 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 it compels us to pursue our purpose in life. When you know what God's called you to do, you are compelled to pursue that. If it's singing, if it's administrative, if it's leading a small group, if it's being with teenagers or students, whatever it is, you are compelled. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. We just read this. And this is not of your own doing, it's a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And then this is the passage that we've been kind of looking at. For we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for one thing, good works. It didn't say you were created to do a thousand things. You were created to do good works in Christ, whatever they are. And it's up to us to figure out what they are, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when Paul talks about grace and faith, he said that that kind of faith leads us to doing things that God wants us to do. We're pursuing our purpose. It leads us to understand that we're created with a purpose and we do something about it. If you don't hear anything else in this whole series, please hear this, that Jesus Christ, you were designed by Jesus Christ, the creator of the earth. You were designed with a purpose. You may have messed up a thousand times. That purpose hasn't run from you. It's right there. You may have put that purpose on the shelf. It's time to take that purpose off the shelf and do something with it. Your deepest and your most profound beliefs inevitably find their way in your behavior. Did you hear that? Your deepest and profound beliefs, whatever you will find their way somehow or another in your behavior. This is how it plays out. If you have real faith, the right kind of faith, do something faith, whatever you want to call it, 
When you're confronted with certain things spiritually, you have to do something. If you're confronted with prayer, like there's people in this church, we have a prayer team. And if you're, if you're convicted by prayer or compelled by prayer, I would love to link you. I'd love to, I'd love to take that dotted line across and crawl, you know, kind of somehow or another fill those blanks. That, because I'm telling you, it's a huge need, but it, they're compelled by prayer. They, they've seen prayer work. Maybe somehow or another, like I, one of the things that I'm compelled, I'm compelled by missions. If you've been around me any length of time, I, I just, the, my heart breaks for people. That, that are less, my heart breaks for people that haven't had the chance. My, my heart breaks for people that may not ever, 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 ever come into this church, but somehow or another, we're supposed to take church out to them. I'm compelled. I've got to do something about it. That's why years ago, we started going to DR and then we started going to Haiti and that's why we have a care center. I prophesied the care center five or six years before we ever had a care center because it's something that God, it, my actions had to be corresponding to my faith. So I had to do something about it. And it goes for every area of our lives. If you feel like, I know lots of you, because I have had conversations, lots of you are very much, I mean, you're compelled by human suffering. And, and you have, your faith has led you down the road of taking care of people. It's just, it's, it is, it's the way it works in every area of our lives. I don't care what it is. Uh, this past week, I found, uh, we have a, so I did a funeral this past week, actually killing myself to this funeral. And for years, I, can I kind of deviate for a second? I just got a little story that goes with this. So for years, I would get a message in. So when we used to do uh, offering plates, this is before COVID. We used to do offering plates. We probably need to do that so we can guilt people into giving again. Did I say that out loud? No. But we used to do offering plates. Well, every, every week for, and when I say years, I mean it was years. It was probably five or six years we would get a note in there and the note would say, tell Pastor Bobby to tuck his shirt in, right? And so you're, you're one of the counters. It would say, tell Pastor Bobby to tuck his shirt in. And it escalated. Over the years, it escalated to the point where I'm never tithing in this church again unless Pastor Bobby tucks his shirt in. And there was one, it cracked me up. Jesus will not speak to you, Pastor Bobby, until you tuck your shirt in. So I didn't know who it was. And so about a year or so ago, um, this guy walks up, the older gentleman, and he walks up to me and he, and he goes, you need to tuck your shirt. And I'm like, whoa, this is the guy. <laughs> like, this is the guy. I'm like, snapshot, taking pictures. I mean, it was amazing. One of the funny things that happened though, one day, we leave church. This is like before, there again, we were passing. We leave church and we get a phone call that afternoon. And the phone call is like, hey, I need to come up to the church right now. I left something in the offering plate. I'm like, yes, you did. And I'm going to confront you about it right now. But I thought he was talking about a note and it maybe got ugly, like, you know what he left there? His lottery ticket. He accidentally put his lottery ticket in there and he had to have it back because he was going to win tomorrow for some reason he thought that. But you know what? This is what I found out about the guy. I didn't know this. It was great being a part and listening to the family and them telling, telling stories. One of the things he did, because he was deeply convicted about Jesus, what Jesus had done in his life, there was never a place he went that he didn't ask somebody if they knew who Jesus was. And it was funny because after they say that, I remember because he used to sit right in there and every Sunday he would grab me and he goes, do you know who Jesus is? I said, I told you last week, yes. <laughs> Hasn't changed much since like, no, but he'd go to a restaurant, he'd go to a kid's school, he'd do whatever and he would tell them or ask the question, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? And that's because he had a deep conviction about what Jesus Christ had done in his life. Think about your own personal life. What would happen if you had or if I had such a deep conviction that it would 
it would drive everything we do in our life. It would drive how we spend our money, how we raise our kids, how we do everything. See, because there's great results of great faith. We read about it, and it's in the book of Matthew, I believe, and it talks about this. Now, you may have never heard the story. Let me give you the kind of short story, but there was a guy that was paralyzed. We assume that he was paralyzed since birth, and he had a couple friends, and his friends had such conviction to get him healed. They heard that Jesus was in this one house, and so they carry him up a ladder, and I don't know if you guys have ever tried to carry something that's dead weight, it's not as easy, even with four people. I don't know how they got four people on a ladder. But somehow or another, I don't know if they, I don't, I, I assume because I think it's kind of like Monty Python, they tied a rope around him and they were like yanking him up or something. I don't, they finally get him on the roof and they cut a hole in the roof and they lower him. And when Jesus sees him, this is what's said. Now think about your faith. Think about the, your deep convictions. Where are they leading you? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, it says, In getting into the boat, he crossed over and he came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, did you ever read that before? It wasn't when Jesus saw the paralytic's faith. It wasn't the faith of the person that really needed to be healed. It was the faith of his four friends. What would happen if we had such great faith that our conviction, that faith would lead us to great convictions about what to do in the community that God's called us. What if we really decided to make Jesus famous the way he, he deserves to be famous because, because of our great convictions that we have? What would happen to our world? It was by their great faith that he was healed. Which leads me to the next one. The right kind of faith compels us into action. James chapter 2, verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of them says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? You catch what's going on right here? You see a need. You see, you see something that needs to be attended to. You can do something about it, but you walk away. You don't do anything. You just kind of pat them on the back. It's again, it's that scripture, what you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me. I didn't even know when we were doing it. Yeah, that's exactly right. When, when, when did I give you water? When did I clothe you? When did I visit you in prison? You, we don't even know it. But the other, op, the opposite extreme is when we don't do anything. First John three seventeen says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? One of the pastors from the, the Hillsong movement said this, you can't ignore the poor and worship God. Think about that for a second. You can't, you can't say you love Jesus and walk past somebody that's in great need. You can't just walk past and maybe throw them a penny or pat them on the back. That deep conviction should lead us to doing something great. And let me tell you something, that action is done in more. You don't, let, me, let, me, let me, your action should be done in more. It shouldn't be just halfway. It should be just like he responds to exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, we should be doing those things the same way, exceedingly abundantly above all that they ask or imagine. And what would happen, what would happen in our world? Romans chapter 12, Lindsay read this passage and there's just one little statement in here. It says, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And it says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, we do everything in proportion to our faith. Everything is because of the deposit that God's put in us. And because of that deposit, we do something more. We should be, we should be compelled like we talk to do those things. 
I made the first service mad, so I'll make you mad too. How's that sound? People say it all the time. My heart goes out to those type of people. Shut up. Shut up. He doesn't want your heart going out. He wants your pocketbook to go out to him. He wants your, he wants your watch, your time, your, your calendar to go out to him. See, we live in a world that's telling, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Do something, do something, faith does something about it. We don't sit there idly seeing the rest of the world going to hell and not do anything about it. He's given us, and let me let you know a little secret. This is not a dress rehearsal for the big show. This is the big show. The Bible says that we will be judged according to our faith, what we've done. What we've done, that's what we And then we'll get to heaven and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, meaning we did something with it. Now enter into your rest. Our, our faith should compel us to do something. The next thing is the right kind of faith compels us to obedience. Was not Abraham our father, in verse 21, justified by works, and when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. We see in Genesis 22, 12, we see the act of obedience when he's taking his son, even though he didn't understand it. He said, now, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. If you don't know how the story goes, real quick, by two seconds. He promises Abraham that his, his, his seed is going to be like the stars of heaven. He, he goes way up in age, and, and they're not having any kids. So he has a relationship with Hagar, and they have Ishmael. All the world's problems in the Middle East are because of that right there, by the way, if you ever want to do a history lesson. That Ishmael, that lineage of Ishmael is Iraq, Iran, it's all that area. That's why we're in constant battle with that group of people because that was, God's not, that was not God's design plan. So finally, he went with God's design plan. He had Isaac. About 17 years old, he tells him to sacrifice him. Now, there's a couple things I want us to notice. I think Abraham understood, if you'll give me just the liberty, I think Abraham understood that God doesn't like murder. Remember, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. He's not going to tell Abraham to go murder. But he still was obedient nonetheless. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He gets up there and God says, okay, I got it taken care of. And he leaves a ram in the thicket and they sacrifice that right there. And some of you are going, I can see it in your eyes. Pastor Bobby, are you telling me I'm going to have to sacrifice my kids? You may want to. I'm just saying. No. No. No, he's not going to tell you to sacrifice your kids. He's not going to tell you to sacrifice your marriage. But you know what he may tell you to sacrifice? Your time. He, he, he may tell you, because of your gifts and talents, that you were designed by him, that he wants you to use those things, that you may have to give up some of your time. You may have to show up here on a Sunday morning at 6.30, or come to second Saturday, or come to second Wednesday, or whatever God's calling you to do. Show up on a Wednesday night for student ministry. Get involved in a leader, whatever it is. I said in first service, and I only say this because these are my things that I constantly have to sacrifice. It, 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 for, it, it's golf, it's, it's hunting, it's fishing, it's the things that I enjoy that actually fill my tank up that sometimes God goes, no, 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 I want you to give those over to me. I, I don't, I, I don't if, if you're a woman, I don't know what you give up, okay? Because I don't, scrapbooking, I don't know. 
But whatever it is, you got to figure that out. There's things that God is going to ask us and call upon us to sacrifice. Let me give you the last one. We're close. The right kind of faith compels us to take some risks. I almost said uncalculated risk because I'm telling you, anything that good happens for God is uncalculated. 19 years ago, God spoke to me and my wife about starting a church. You want to talk about uncalculated? I had a great job. I didn't know if a single person, I really literally thought it was going to be me, Gina, and our three kids that were at that time, they were great kids, but they were useless. They were little small kids. Like, I mean, they were great kids, but like, I couldn't ask them to lead the band once, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to hour like, we're going to start CR. You're in charge of CR now. Couldn't do it. But it was uncalculated risk, left a good job, making good money, a great church. And I think about what God did over the years with that uncalculated risk. And then he shares the story in James, the same way was also Rahab, the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers. And that line doesn't do what she did any justice. The king of Jericho was coming in to try to kill her. They were hiding the Israelite spies. They hit him upstairs. If she gets caught, she's done. And all she asked from the spies of the Israelites is, when you come and invade Jericho, could you not kill my family? Man, that's, that's uncalculated. She had to trust them, right? And in our lives, we're going to take uncalculated risks. And it kind of reminded me of the story of the Good Samaritan. All right, I don't know if y'all know the story of the Good Samaritan. I'll give you the short version, and we're going to close in prayer. There's a guy left on the side of the road dead. Two religious people come walking past them and jump sides of the street and walk around them. Maybe because they were late for the temple. We really don't know why. Then a Samaritan, which is interesting to me, because if you know what the culture was like back then, the reason they probably jumped to the other side was there was robbers and thieves there. And what they would do is they would actually stage a beating. And then when somebody would come and help them, they would jump on top of them and actually beat them up, take their money, destroy whatever they needed to do. But here the Samaritan sees this human need, this person dying on the street. Can you imagine that? And walks up and says, here's the deal. I'm going to take care of you. Goes to the innkeeper. I'm going to put him in. I'm going to pay for it. If it's not enough money, I'm going to come back through in a week or so. I'm going to take care of everything. Don't you worry about it. That's an uncalculated risk. It made me think about a study I, I was reading about. I've known about the study for a while, but it's a study at Princeton Theological Seminary. And two professors of psychology decided they were going to do this study. And they split the class right down the middle and they put one on one side, maybe 20 students, another one on the other side. And they told this side over here, we want you to write your thesis. Your thesis, your paper is going to be on the things that you think you will be doing when you get into ministry. And so they started working on the project. And then the other side, they said, this is what we, we want you to do, your thesis, your paper on the story of the Good Samaritan. And so they're both working on it. And then they decided they were going to split the groups in half. And they were going to tell you one half that they need to get over there, but no urgency. There's, when you ever get to, you know, here's the map to where you're going to do this. You're going to do this today. Just go over there anytime. But the other group, they told them, you got to get over there right now. You're already late. You were supposed to be on five minutes ago. And they told both groups that. So you have this group that's just trying to figure out ministry and this other one about the Good Samaritan. Well, this group over here, what they decided to do is stage a man in the middle of the, of the school And they were going to have these people, they drew him out, they were going to have them walk right past this guy that was laying on the ground, acting like he was hurt. He was groaning. Not a single person from that first group 
the group that was trying to figure out what ministry would look like, not a single person stopped. They just kept on going. Now you would think because their story of the Good Samaritan, that at least some of them would stop. So you think, you know, maybe maybe 20%, maybe 30, maybe, maybe out of those 10 or 15 students, seven, not at all. Not a single one of them stopped. And I thought to myself, that should never happen. That should never happen in the world we live. It's the point where the world's deepest need and our greatest joy intersect. That's where God wants to use us. And the challenge today is to figure out what that is and do it and do it. So three weeks ago, I challenged everybody in our faith community, whether you're at Sherwood here online, to go to our website and do the gift assessment. And I am pleased to say that so many people have done it, okay? But not everybody. We went to small group the other night and some of us were doing it on the way to small group. Somebody said, somebody said, I did it and that's not who I am. And I said, stop thinking about it. Don't put in there what you want to be. Put in there what you are right now and then watch God use that. Watch God take those Amen? We're going to do something a little different today. I want you all to stand up. We're going to pray together as a faith community. It's no secret what's going on in the world around us. And even this morning as I was getting ready, I was, I was convicted. There was a moment in time where the world's greatest need and one of my things that makes me happy intersected. And I felt like it's just a it's a good opportunity for us to pray for our world. Our world is in turmoil. Scripture says, if my people, that's his church, that's you, that's me, if my people would humble themselves, that he'll heal our land. This is not a, please understand, this is not, some of you, this is not a political statement. Somebody in the first service walked out of here and offended one of my friends because he said, them stupid Russians, I bet you there's some in this church. And the kid that heard him, the kid that I led to Jesus and baptized, is Russian, was adopted by an American family. And he walked out of here. This is not political, y'all. This is about humanity. This is about people that honestly, we have an opportunity to at least pray for. Pray for. I'm not asking you to I'm going to even ask you to pray for the people in Russia. There's more people in Russia against this, this regime than there is for. The streets are filled with people that don't want this to happen. Somehow or another, can we, by the Holy Spirit, I don't understand it. I don't make, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how he answers a prayer here and he answers a prayer. I don't understand any of that, but I do know this. He does that. And what would happen if we prayed and believed God was going to move? Anybody with me on this? Okay, good, good. This is what I want you to do. If you feel comfortable, I don't care if you feel comfortable, really. I think there's a surrendering to God that sometimes we've missed. And what I would like for all of us, some of you know this is surrender. Some of you know this is I'm getting arrested. That's not, it's surrendering. I want to surrender to God right now. Can we do that? If you would, just with me. Heavenly Father, right now in this moment, 
God, I have friends. I got friends from the Ukraine. I got pastor friends that are over there right now. God, we found out this morning about from another pastor in our city, one of his people that goes to his church is from Ukraine and actually flew back there right before this turmoil and now stuck there. God, there's moms and dads and there's people on both sides that are just crying out for you, for peace. And here's my prayer. It's not, I'm just so tired of sophisticated prayers. I'm gonna give you a raw prayer right now. Your word says in Genesis, what you've turned, what the enemy has tried to destroy and bring evil with, you turned around and made it good. God, somehow or another, can you do that in this situation? Can you do that? I don't know how it works. I don't care how it works. It's not going to be, this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers, principalities and high places. It's against, it's against, I'm telling you, it's against darkness and light. God, please, somehow or another, send your Holy Spirit that we would see you move and that your name would be made famous in the world that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.